Hello beautiful listeners, this is Things of Interest, and you're listening to part two of our conversation on ethical consumerism. In part one, we talked about the economy, how we value work, and how we cultivate an economically healthy populace. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I hope you do too. Here's part two. So, do you think it's better to take like a good and high paying career and donate a bunch of your money towards like charities and the environment and shit like that or to like take a career that maybe doesn't pay a lot or indeed anything that does like a notable social good sort of where do you think that balance lies and like where does it lie for you personally it really depends and for me it's all about like coming back to the whole impact thing and to the whole longevity thing is what is sustainable what can I sustain throughout my entire life like what habits what 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 actions can I sustain and how much impact does those actions have because I do a lot of volunteer work and I could be like volunteering at the local night shelter which I have before and I could be doing it like gardening work for the community like I could be doing a whole bunch of stuff but I I choose to volunteer for Rails Girls which is a two-day workshop that brings in girls of all ages and teaches them some coding and that's because I think I think about my skill set and I think about the things that I can do and I think about the things that the community around me needs what can I do that is both easiest for me to keep up alongside my life and the most impactful. So I could be doing much more volunteering, like that's for sure, but I don't think I can keep that up for a long time and I don't think it is as impactful as if I were to work as hard as I do in my job and gain influence in my industry. Well, because your job also has those do good days or whatever yes yes we do we we have like a close for good yeah we um we have close for good days which is like kind of a compulsory volunteer day for every single employee of the bank to go out to the communities to their local communities and just give a full day's work to them which is fantastic and i think we should do it twice a year to be honest but yeah it's um i think when it comes to the balance between earning and like focusing on yourself, gaining influence and donating your own blood, sweat and tears, your own time and effort to go out there and do something good for the community yourself. It is a balance between what you can maintain and keep up. So for Rails Girls, it's something that I can maintain relatively easily because the things that I do for Rails Girls are very similar to the things I do for my job. Mm. So I don't have to like mental model change much and I have been like this is the second year I'm organizing so like it's something that I have been able to keep up and keep up donating my time to and it's a balance between that and I mean I'm not too fussed about the earning more money thing I care more about gaining influence and if I have that influence then I can say you know, we need more diversity, we need to pay our women just as much as we pay our men, we need ethnic diversity, we need to be better to our employees, we need to change our workplace culture, like, I'm saying these things now, but they only mean so much. Yeah. So the better I get at my job, and the more well-known I get, then the more good that I can do within that industry, and that's also really important to me. The money thing is... Eh, I mean, 
I'm still in student mode, so I'm still like, yeah. If I can pay rent, if I can, you know, help my parents out, if I can put food on the table, I'm I'm very happy. Yeah, I mean, like I am. I think looking forward, I very much want to earn a lot of money, and that sounds really shitty to say out loud. No, nah, go for like, it. Get that yeah, cash. Get bank. Yeah. But a lot of it is like I am incredibly conscious that sort of my parents are getting old, that mm. I am the child that has like notable career options currently. Like mm. I'm sort of in the position where I need to make sure within the next 10 years, I'm in the position where I can look after my parents if I need to, that I can, I'm in a financial position where like, if I need to take time off to care for them, if I need to like suddenly fly back to New Zealand or like, mm change their house and like my parents are very good with their money like they quite probably have savings for this but on a personal level like I need to be able to do that for them as well yeah like that's so important to me um and that's a very like I feel like inward looking viewpoint when it comes to like the good of the world and the community (laughs) um and it's certainly not one that like a lot of my white friends get I don't (laughs) think it's an inward looking viewpoint I think if you are not taking care of yourself and your family and the yeah. people who you care about the most first, then you are not going to be able to contribute to things that are bigger than that. So I think you're you're making the right decision in saying, I'm putting myself and my family first. I think that's really good. Because then you have, you'll have extra resource later yeah. to do bigger and better things. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, they've supported me so much as well. Like they got me through hmm. uni and like have been kind of excellent. And I'm incredibly aware of how lucky I am with that. Um, I think the other thing is like when I was an undergraduate, like I did, um, a bunch of charity work with a group called 100%. Oh, where, yeah. yeah you, you might've heard of them. They do, um, tutoring. And then once you get paid, like rather than the tutor getting paid, like all the money they get paid goes to a charity of the tutor's choice. Um, and so I tutored like genetics for med students for two years mm-hmm. and, from doing that, like, I suddenly had, like, I didn't have any teaching shit I could put on my CV. <laughs> like, <laughs> I just, I had nothing. But then I, like, tutored for charity and, like, certainly I think Crystal took a bit of a chance on me because I had shit all of a <laughs> CV. Um, but, like, I did well and I got good feedback and then I got, like, other teaching jobs and, like, I have a teaching get at Melbourne now as well, which pays so much. Um, like that was a really nice thing. Like, I think donating my time and it's almost like the reverse of what you're saying, right? Like donating mm. my time and like energy to something and like doing the best I could at it gave me a skill that then allowed me to get paying jobs. And that was so awesome. Like I was nice. so into that. Yeah. That's so good. So like, it's, it's really, I think a personal choice and to each to their own, like, I'm sure there'll be people out there where plenty of cash dollar money is who can put that to good use rather than yeah uh rather than voluntary and there's there'll be people out there who are incredible organizers and volunteers and do so much good for the community and that's where they get a lot of personal satisfaction out of and that's like the most important thing I think is if like if you're unhappy and if you're not able to sustain either chasing money or volunteering then that's not going to be sustainable it's not going to help anyone so it's not selfish to put yourself first and to put your own well-being first. Yeah. I mean, I also think about the um, the middle line, right, which is that you don't get paid very much, but you work in something that is a quote-unquote social good. 
Um, mm-hmm. And certainly reading some stuff that Peter Singh has written about this, like one of the examples of a social good career that he wrote was like scientific research. And I'm like, well, look, yes, yes but, um, but uh, it's like, I am very aware that what I am doing is going to contribute to a social good. I think mm. what I am doing and what I am like working on right now is not necessarily a social good in and of itself. Like it is, a brick in the pyramid of science. Like I am not discovering yeah. a cure for anything. I'm discovering that some things are not cures and I'm going, right, ruled them out, big cross through them. Let's move yeah. on. Um, yeah. And that's how and, science works, right? Yeah. But like this idea that like being a scientist is necessarily a social good. It's like, well, sort of, mm. it's like your social good adjacent. Yeah. I think we also have to, um, have to recognize that science as it works currently, is uh, you're not necessarily incentivized to quote-unquote do social good. You're incentivized to publish papers. And sometimes the social good part of doing science is doing that really necessary uh, replication work to replicate studies that have done once, twice, three times before and to either confirm or deny that earlier study. And that's the stuff that's not being done in science right now, but we need desperately for science, you know, the concept of science to work. And I mean, it's stuff that doesn't get funded as well, like, which no, is yeah. incredibly frustrating. Um, something yeah. I've thought about a bit with regards to science funding. So um, if any of our listeners are not aware, um, the bulk of science is funded through taxpayer dollars, essentially. Mm-hmm. Like, you pay taxes, a chunk of that goes towards the, um, for me, the NHMRC, which is the National Health and Medical Research Council, um... I don't know what physicists get paid by Serena. Some shit. Um, uh, <laughs> there are grants, I'm sure. There are grants. <laughs> um, but like a lot of those come through taxes. There is a section of science which can be um, partly or in some cases entirely funded by private bodies. Um, generally that can be questionable. There's a bunch of studies looking at A1 versus A2 milk and every single one that has been published has been funded by like one group or the other. And it turns Mm. out when they're funded by a particular group, they tend to find in favor of that, which is super weird. There are nonprofits that uh, fund science as well. So if you're walking down the road and get like talked to by someone collecting for the Cancer Council, Cancer Council gives some money to the science funding as well. Mm. What's happened that I find quite interesting is that a colleague of mine, um, Dr. Mel Thompson, while she was at Deakin, was funding a bunch of her science through Kickstarters. So she would set up a Kickstarter and be like, we need this much money to do like this particular study. Um, You can get like these little sort of kitschy, really cheap things for each level that you fund. And that allows us to do this science. And I kind of looked at that and I was like, well, this feels like there's been a failure somewhere because Those Kickstarters were successful, which clearly means that people, and like the bulk of people who were contributing it were from Australia, like there were certainly some people from outside Australia, but the bulk of people doing that are taxpayers and are saying, we want our money to fund the science. Oh, do you know what this reminds me of? No. There was, um, I think, some tech conference or something in which someone said really profoundly with many pauses, what if the grid was crowdfunded and someone was just like, do you mean like tax? And this is, this is what I think when you say like she's funding things through Kickstarter is obviously how we divvy up our tax dollars is, is not quite optimized. And that's probably where a bulk of the problem is because it is a, 
Like, it is a public good. Yeah, because I found that, like, so bizarre, because I think most of the comments that were made on it, particularly, so the one that um, I contributed to, which was looking at, what are they called? Bacterial communities in your lower intestine. A lot of people were saying, like, clearly there's not enough money for science. And it's like, well, I mean, there is. It's just obviously yeah. not going to the right places. Like, yeah. and possibly, like, there is enough money for science, and, like, these kind of people would fund, like, research no matter what, and maybe, like, they would also gladly pay more taxes if they knew that that money was going to go towards scientific research. I think the element of choice and the fact that they then could choose to pay money for that research, like, has a significant impact on people's mentality surrounding Kickstarters. But, like, when it comes down to it, like, there was quite likely some breakdown in the series of events that happened between some one of these people who contributed to it paying tax, whether that be income tax, property tax, GST, whatever, Mm. and that money being um, divvied up to go to scientists. And, like, I find that interesting, but more than anything, I find it so frustrating. Yeah. And, like, one of the reasons I'm leaving science is, like, if the area that I am an expert in is not cool to a government anymore, I could lose my job regardless of how good a scientist I am. Yeah. It's just, like, I don't have time for that. I want a life to live. I want to buy a house. Screw this. Yeah, that was very similar to, like, my frustrations with academia. A lot of it stemming from the fact that, uh, like, useful work that is useful for everyone, like, replication experiments are not respected. Um, That and the fact that if you're on the frontier, you're basically throwing dice as to whether you'll be, quote-unquote, successful or not. Um, Yeah. I mean, I, I think that also plays into, like, scientific fraud, right? Mm. Like, this incredible pressure to publish and publish and publish and to whenever you throw dice get two sixes Mm. otherwise oh well you're not like you might not have your job next year you might not get your fellowship and this is detrimental to science like this is detrimental to our society this is detrimental to to our technology and to the health of our people is that if we keep incentivizing scientists to essentially fudge their their results or, like, interpret them with a very heavy eye and say, oh, it looks like this thing has happened and therefore my hypothesis was correct or my theory was correct. If we keep incentivizing scientists to publish over just doing science, then we're, we're really digging ourselves into a really dangerous hole. Yeah. It's, um, and, I, and I think particularly, like, the scientific publishing groups, like, don't do much for that as well like in order to get Mm. into nature or science you could write like an amazing paper and like some um collaborators of ours did that recently like they wrote a baller paper like I love reading that paper which is so dorky of me to say on um no podcast but they also publish things that are weird they publish things that'll get people talking and that's because like nature and science want more clicks Mm. and like scientific clickbait is the shittiest thing ever but it's also why like those um so a few years ago there were stress induced um pluripotency that thought to be occurred which meant that like you could take cells from someone's skin put them in a dish stress them out a whole bunch and then they'd be able to turn into like a kidney and this was a study that was done in japan through like a few different groups and it was published i think yeah it was published in nature in 2014 and then no one could replicate it and then eventually like um their employer looked into it and found out that there had been falsified data and Mm. then like 
just everything kind of fell apart. And later that year, like, one of the people involved in the paper killed themselves. Wow. And it was just like, I understand how that happened because, like, academia puts so much pressure on not only, like, being, like, a good scientist, which is, like, very much in air quotes, like, being someone who publishes, being someone who gets grants, and, like, not necessarily, like, linking that to being someone who does ethical science, who replicates things, who double-checks things, who, like, makes absolutely certain... science. Like, yeah, like, makes absolutely certain they haven't mislabeled things. Like, that's a huge issue. Yeah. And this happened because of that, because of the environment that science is currently in worldwide. Like, this um, study, this it's called Stimulus-Triggered Acquisition of Pluripotency. Like, this happened in Japan, but exactly the same thing could quite probably have happened in Australia, in New Zealand, in China, mm. in India, in Brazil, in the US, like, anywhere where there's that really tense academic situation. Mm. Um, and that that actually really upsets me. Like, the it fact really, that... It's bad. The scientific process is meant to be, like, this beautiful, pure thing, and certainly enough <laughs> men on the internet have told me that. Um, <laughs> but it's... In its actuality, it's incredibly messy, and it's messy because we've lost sight of what scientists are meant to do. Because scientists aren't meant to yeah. write grants. Like, it's good if they can write a bit of a grant. Like, <laughs> they're not meant to write grants. They are meant to publish. They aren't meant to spend, like, eight months of every year freaking out about funding, freaking out about losing their job and trying to apply for other jobs. They're meant to just be good at science. Yeah. The system of incentives around science is completely fucked up like I I remember in my honours year my supervisor who is brilliant and fantastic and he's great he spent I, I want to say like 90% of his time writing grants like that was the thing that he did he wrote grants and and you could like you could see how much he wanted to be doing actual science and it was it was just the saddest thing it also makes me think of how similar this problem is to the problem of paying for journalism. Because it's, like, they're two very similar industries in that while they don't provide direct, immediate benefit to everyone, there's something that we have to invest in because they provide long-term benefit for the entire populace, for a very large amount of people, not specific people, short-term. And that's something that's really hard to sell. It's something that's incredibly hard to sell to people. And that's, like, science is undergoing the same kind of problems of funding, and they're under, scientists are under so much pressure to publish because the actual publishers themselves are under pressure to to get funding as well. Like, they are not selling paper journals anymore. It's, yeah, it's, it's just, it's funny how so many problems of the world come down to, like, a handful of really fundamental, really, really hard challenges. Yeah. And I think the other thing that um is impacting science funding currently is the fact that journal publications are taken very seriously and, like, mm. the impact factor, which is meaningless, is taken very seriously. But journalism publications, books, like, nah, I don't know about those. And, like, I think... um. <laughs> Susie Wiles at Auckland is taken seriously enough that her book on um, microbial resistance to antibiotics 
will be important like in her next set of like funding applications mm. but i think for someone who is less well-renowned like susie was is borderline famous as a science communicator in new zealand oh um, yeah yeah like for someone less well-renowned if they publish a book like it wouldn't matter mm. and that's just so frustrating because like a chunk of your science is your science communication like you look at Katie Mack and I am very doubtful that the fact that she has, what, 40,000 Twitter followers now? I just remember the day when I told her that I'd, like, cracked a 1,000 and she was like, oh, I just, like, did this. Oh, I'm sorry. She has <laughs> 117,000 Twitter followers. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I strongly doubt that that will be taken into account by many universities when she applies to jobs there. No. When she is such an important science communicator, someone yeah. who is, like, literally – changing like 117,000 people's lives like not every day but every so often they'll see a tweet by her and learn something more about space it's like yeah yes that's what I'm here for it's fantastic I feel like we've got enough topic again (laughs) but (laughs) still relevant that's what we're here for it's all about ethics it's all about ethical consumption yes how do you ethically consume science you give a scientist a dollar every time you read something cool and sciencey well I mean just like Tell your local MP that you think that science funding is important. This mm. carries a lot of weight if you're not a scientist. Like, obviously, I think science funding is important. It pays for my job. But if, like, you, as a non-scientist, mm. ever get a chance to talk to your elected representative and go, like, hey, like, how's science funding going? Have you considered maybe making it better? Like, mm. that can make an impact. Like, it makes more of an impact on them, essentially, because they see that the concerns about science funding go beyond the people that are immediately affected by it. Talk to your politicians. Do it. Have chats with Reach them. Reach out. Yeah. Hey, everyone. We hope you enjoyed that just as much as we did. Part three will be out soon. But in the meantime, let us know what you think so far. Let us know with a rating, let us know with a review. Tell us what you're interested in. We're at Casting Interest on Twitter and Facebook, and you can always email in a voice memo at castinginterest at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed this show, let a friend know. May you go forth and have great conversations with your closest friends. See you all in part three.